It's great to see the young uns. I want to say the young uns, I mean the babies. And even though they come with noise, it's still good. It's a noise that every house needs. Shows his life. As long as they're your kids and not mine. <clears throat> as long as I can give your kids back to you, I'm okay with that. So I want to call this morning's message, we're still in the crisis uh, series, but I want to call this one, say this with me, same waters, different boat. Same boat, same waters. So we've got same, same waters, but different boat, and same boat, but different waters. I said same waters, should I? I'm just getting myself tongue tied. Let's go to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And it says, that day, uh, that day when evening came, and he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, he took him along, and just as he was in, in, uh, was in the boat, there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. So you're getting the picture here. Jesus was in the storm, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Not that you drowned. Not that we're drowning. Don't you care if we drown? Listen to the self-centeredness here. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down. Wow. And he was completely calm. Some of you just need to completely calm right down. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? I'm in the boat. What's the problem? I'm in the boat. Why are you so afraid? Don't you still have faith? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, in this particular event, Jesus is telling his disciples to go to the other side. But verse 36 is something that we often overlook when we read this story. And it says, and there were also other boats with him. There were also other boats with him. <clears throat> and here we, have one, here we have one boat where Jesus and the disciples are in the same water. And they're in the same boat together. And yet, there's other boats where they're in the same water, but we're not all in the same boat. Pick it up here. The same waters, but not everybody's in the same boat. Yes? And I think it's fair to say that, you know, during these last 16, 18 months, we've all had to swim the same waters. But we've not all been in the same boat. We've not all been in the same boat, but we've all had to swim the same waters. We felt the waves, we felt the beating, we felt the pounding, we felt the salt in our mouth. It's not tasted good, has it? And yet, though we've all been in the same waters and have had to navigate and charter these waters, we have not all been in the same boat. Is that not true? And why am I saying this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Some people, or many, many people throughout our nation and throughout the world, has found that during COVID, COVID actually was good for them. Not the disease, I mean, the, the gap, the disruption. It created a lifestyle for them that they're most suited to. 
Some people like isolation. Some people like privacy. Some people like not having to open the door and talk to people and keeping. Some people like social distancing. And this actually played into their hands. And they built walls around them. And while they were actually thinking they're doing what the government's asked them to do, they're actually building, they're actually bricking themselves in from the rest of the world. And yet it's also fair to say that um, people found it very challenging. Others found it very, very challenging and still are finding it very challenging. Many people have found it was, it was full of turmoil. Turmoil. And they found, let's pick up that verse, it says there in, in verse uh, 37, that it nearly swamped them. COVID, crisis, or crisis on its own without COVID, is that, has got that potential to swamp you. And we all have to learn to swim in the same waters. But we're not all in the same boat. But it's the waters. There's two dynamics here. The waters and the boat. That you've got to understand. I don't do what you do. You don't do what I do. Right. So in that sense we're in a different boat. But we're all in the same waters. Trials and tribulations. Crisis. Heartache. Sadness. Sickness. Fury. Fear. They're all around us in those waters. And they're all under those waters. You know when you go on holiday and you jump in the water, you think, there's a shark underneath there? Is there something under there? That sea, that world of, we call the ocean, is full of creatures. And I don't like it because I can't see them. I don't like it. I like to stay on the shore where I can look at the suckers. And if they come in, I can shout, everybody out! And some... Some slept their way through COVID very, very peacefully. And others didn't. Fortunately, unfortunately, I should say. <laughs> let me get my words right. Unfortunately, many slept and did not awake. So we see that there's a crisis. There's the waters and there's the boat. Now you just think of how that fared for us in this house. You know, I look at my... My learned friend over here, John. And when I, we saw what happened to John in all that, the winds and the waves all suddenly battered across John's bow. And before you know it, John's in hospital. Fighting for his life. We're all in the same sea, but we're not all in the same boat. And that family was in that boat. They were in that sea and in that boat together as a family. So what do we have to do as a church? We take our boat to their boat. And we join with them so that we're all in the same boat. But really, we're not all in the same boat. Because no one loves John like his family and his wife. No one does that. No one loves mum and dad like the husband or the wife. The kids love mum and dad, of course they do. But wife started first. And John's body lay potentially in a grave. Is that fair to say, John? Potentially lay in a grave. And we had to throw some prayer up. There was nobody as intense in prayer as this lady. She's saying, she's praying a little bit more intensely than you and I are. Why? Because it's someone she loves. 
She's made a covenant with. So next time he's giving you some grief, just remember, you pray to keep him alive. <laughs> and if it's not working, you need a book called Stronger. <laughs> and we as a church had to rise from our slumber. Red alert, red alert. We were the other boats behind in this scenario. And there they are in that boat and they think Jesus is asleep. But it takes somebody to rise up in that storm, in that boat, to rebuke the winds and waves. It's very, very powerful. Then we cannot miss and should not mention Gwen. Lost a husband. A dear brother, faithful man. Served this house, one of the, one of the early founders. Laboured in this house. And there we are. All in the same waters, but we're not all in the same boat. And I want you to see that this house has got some substance. This house has got some substance, but I also want you to see that our God is greater than us. Despite our best strength and our best day, God has been the one who's brought us through. Psalm 44, that's what I read out to you today. Psalm 44. And you know... When you're going through what Gwen's gone through, it feels like your boat has capsized. And yet, thank God there was other boats around. Thank God there was other boats in the same water, but not, we're not all in that boat. But we're all in that same water. And we could come to some aid. We could come to some form of rescue. Nothing replaces what this lady's lost. But the strength of a family and the strength of, you know, the layers, what I call the layers... The layers kick in and it, and it upholds her and, and brings her to a point of she can get through this. She feels swamped, just like John felt swamped. Lord, I'm dying and I'm going to die out in the open ocean. And God says, no, there's boats on the way. I know it's crisis, but I know boats are on the way. And we were able to have the funeral here. Obviously under restrictions, but we did it. And it's only right that we could have done it here. This is the place where he loved and his heart was. And then we have David Platt. Yeah. David's been in and out of hospital. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a faithful man. Yeah. Yeah. And he's still in hospital, is that right? Yeah. Still in hospital. But you know, is, it, it is the... And then we've had Paul and, Paul and Jake both had COVID. The younguns and then the younger one even had COVID. I think there's others who had COVID as well. I know uh, Enid had COVID. And, you know, we've gone through them. We've gone through it. We've all been in the same waters, but we've not all been in the same boat. You see, the amazing thing is this. You will have to, Scripture tells us that we'll all be in the same water. But you and I must decide what boat you jump in. Whose boat, what boat you're going to jump in. You know, your boat sometimes may not be built to... to go through some choppy waters. You might need to be in a bigger boat. So what does God do? God takes your individual vessel and he puts it in a church. And he, well, actually, he puts it in Christ. The church is in Christ. And you know, every big ship has a small boat. In case things go wrong, we've got a small one to jump into. But what happens when the small one's gone? And all we've got is the big one. And if the big one can't function... The small one's not good. 
Yeah? And last week I read to you Philippians 1.29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Jesus Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. In other words, you're going to have to learn to sink or swim. That's it. If you're going to live for Christ, you're going to have to learn to swim. Or the alternative is you will sink. And then 2 Timothy 3.12, we read, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life, yeah? So the first one is, you're not only, it's not only being credited to believe on him, but to suffer for him. And in Timothy, it says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. In other words, you'll go through crisis or you'll go through capsizing moments. We've all felt the waves wash over us. There is a word that can be obtained in the midst of your crisis. And I believe there is the power within you to rebuke the winds. And the waves trying to blow you off course. And the word saves you. It saves you, but it doesn't necessarily save your boat. Now I'll make that clear in a minute. Sometimes everything you're attached to has to die in order for you to be saved. Paul says... I lost everything for the sake of knowing him. For the sake of knowing him. And we're looking at that this morning. Sometimes you're worth far more than the cargo you're attached to. You all make attachments, whether it's your puppy, whether it's your grandchildren, whether it's your children, whether it's your TV, whether it's your money, whether it's your house, whether it's your work, whether it's your friends. We all make attachments. And I'm, like, I'm using the word attachments as, and I said, there's another word I'm using is cargo. Cargo is attachments. It's what we think is valuable and worth sinking for. Don't, if you're going to sink, let go of the cargo. True? So when John was in his coma, what John didn't know was because his boat is connected to a larger boat and our boat is connected to an even larger boat heaven can speak now Jonathan David in one of his messages I didn't know this at the time this was backfill in one of his Sunday messages he was talking about someone being in a coma and they died and God was going to preserve their life now this came after John's scenario We didn't know that, but what God had seen, God had seen John in a coma, spoke through a prophet. I picked that word up and straight away I thought, this man has received a miracle. Before it happens, I announce it to you. So the boat, your small boat was connected to this boat and this big boat was connected to a bigger boat that already prophesied that you were dead in that coma, but God saved your life. You can't get any more of a crisis than dead. Now John, in his own words, says that in his coma he began to hear himself speaking in tongues. I like to think that's the Holy Spirit doing a bit of CPR. Speaking, John speaking his way back into life. Yes, miracles happen 
Miracles happen. And God gave him a miracle. Powerful. Powerful. Do you know, I was reading the stats today. Uh, sorry, on Thursday. So these were Thursday stats. 1,000. Uh, sorry, 153,734 people have died with COVID marked on their certificate in this country. Now, you can argue with those figures. I'm just giving you a figure that's on the, what was on the website. You could say probably more. But that's, that's too many. One was too many. We can't say it's not here. We can. Whatever name you want to put on it. Is immaterial. There's something killing people. There's something killing people far more than any other flu that's ever done before. And we're all having to sail the same seas, but we're not all in the same boat. And I pray I never have to be in his boat. But you know, sometimes I wish you were in my boat and sometimes you wish I was in your boat. So we can have compassion. So we can understand one another. But guess what? I don't mind you pulling your boat up alongside me. And we'll talk. And we can trade. And we can encourage one another. But my boat's my boat. Your boat's your boat. But this sea is all around us. And we're all going to have to learn to sink or swim. And I've got this feeling that many of you will swim. Why? Because it's in your instinct to survive. And I said right at the beginning, we can take the mentality of going through COVID, we can survive or we can thrive. I don't want to survive, I want to thrive. John, survival may be the first state. John survived, but now he's thriving. So let's go to Acts 27. There's great, let me give you the heading, there's great purpose behind being in the same boat. There's great purpose behind being in the same boat and being, uh, and being in the same waters and, and being in the same boat. So before we saw Jesus and the disciples in one boat, but yet the others, can you imagine when that, when that water began to swamp, those, those others who were in the boat didn't have Jesus in theirs. And so that's, there's a picture, there's a picture of so many believers who were traveling throughout life without Jesus in their boat. And there's so many believers who make sure that when they go out and they do things for God, God's in their boat with them. So those who were, there were the same fears in the other boat that was in the disciples. But the difference is, they didn't have someone to wake up. Can you see that? You're better with Jesus than you're ever going to be without him. But you know what? You shouldn't have to wake your Jesus up. If your Jesus is asleep in the boat, there's something wrong. My Jesus isn't asleep, he's awake. Can you imagine? Leave a message. He's, he's asleep right now. He will get back to you. What kind of God's that? Acts 27. We're going to see Paul. Paul went through a doozy of a storm. Do you know what a doozy is? That's called a doozy storm. <laughs> That's a big storm of all storms. A doozy one. It's, it's, it's a Mancunian word. <laughs> when a gentle south wind begins to blow, picking up from verse 13, sorry, of Acts 27. 
When a gentle south wind begins to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. But before very long, a hurricane of wind force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and caught not head into the wind. And could not head into the wind, sorry. So we gave way to it and were driven along. And as we passed by the lee of the small island called Corda, which is Crete, by the way, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together, fearing that they would run aground on the sandbars of Sretis. They lowered the sea and anchor and let the ship be driven along. Yet we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. And after men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice. Don't you just love this, eh? When someone stands up and says, You should have listened to me. It's like, You should have listened to it, take my advice to sell for Crete. Then you would have spared yourself. Well, thank you, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for your insight. But now I urge you to keep your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Only the ship will be destroyed. Only the ship will be destroyed. You're going to survive, but the ship might be destroyed. Yeah? But if you've got more value in the ship than you have in your life, then guess what? The pair of you will go down to David. Is it, what's he called? David Jones? David Jones' David locker. If you don't know what that is, go to watch the Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> Last night, an angel of God, whose I am, thank God for the angel of God, whose I am, I am serve, I serve, stood beside me and said, don't be afraid, Paul, you must stand trial before Caesar. And God had graciously given him you the lives of all who were with, sail with you. So keep up your courage, men. I have faith in God that it will happen, just as he told me. You know, just pick up on that verse as I'm seeing it here. When it says... We couldn't see, no stars appeared when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. That's just coming to me as I'm reading that. That means when you can't see your way through. When you can't charter your way out of a storm, the, you know, the sailors use the stars. And in the day they can, they can see things come in. And if so many of us get ourselves in a storm because the clouds above us begin to form and we have no sight, no insight, no foresight, no hindsight. We have none of those things and we can't chart our way and we're just sailing blindly. Anybody ever felt they've been sailing blindly? You don't know where you are in life. Life's just spun you a, a curveball and you don't know where you are, where you're going. There's a period in time when you're just trying to find yourself. Been there. Been there. You just... Check out, you go through your life, you go to work, you do the things you normally do, but inside, internally, you just feel lost. But God is there. Because God's in the, God's in the boat. Or God's close to the boat. Remember, it doesn't matter where you are, how far you are lost at sea, he can walk on water. He can find you, he can walk to you. He can walk right up to your boat in a second and say, Elijah... Where are you? I don't know, Lord. Where am I? You know, Lord. Yes, you're lost. Follow me. 
Elijah starts rowing and follows the Lord in a direction called safety. But first of all, it all starts in verse 13 when a gentle wind blows. When a gentle wind blows and they thought they had obtained all they wanted. <laughs> I, love, I love warm days when there's a gentle breeze and I feel like I've got all I wanted. I've got, I'm in the car, shades are on, got to look cool in a pair of shades, haven't you? <laughs> Driving along at the wheel, got my baby at the side, got cattle at the side, got, got the grandkids in the back, it's a sunny day, nice warm breeze, I've got it all together in that moment. I feel good, feel strong, feel like we're going somewhere. And then all of a sudden, things begin to change. How often is our life like that? It's sunny today. And it's rainy tomorrow. Or it's sunny in the morning and rainy by lunchtime. Yeah? And then it's sunny again at four o'clock. And then it's a downpour and a storm by nine o'clock. And you've gone through all the four seasons emotionally in one day. Have you been there? You know, when it's nice and clear, you feel like you know where you're going in life. You've got a clear purpose. I can see the road. It's there. I know where we're going. We're fixed. And it only takes some cloud to form. And doubt sets in your heart. I thought we were going the right way. And then you blame your wife. Because she, she did, you know, for some reason, you always blame someone else. It's never your fault. It's never your fault. You can't blame the sat-nav. She doesn't answer back. So you've got to blame the wife. And the wife's blaming the husband. And I remember once going to, to it was in France, and he ended up doing a 100-mile round trip because Carol didn't read the map right. No, she'll tell you. She'll tell you. If she doesn't, I'm telling you anyway. We did a 100-mile trip. We saw a bit of France we didn't plan on seeing. And I never want to see again. <laughs> When you walk with, when, you, when the sun is shining and you've got a clear breeze, you've got this inner propensity to think, I am unstoppable. I am unstoppable. I am stronger than I actually am. I am impenetrable. God, you can trust me to do anything for you. Okay, let's see if I change the weather by lunchtime. Let's see if you've still got the same response and you're still as chippy and buoyant as you were this morning. Okay, and God will do this because God will just let the winds blow across our life. Why? Because we've already been told anyone who wants to serve God will be persecuted or will, you know, it's been, counted, it's been called, accounted for you to suffer. So it tells me the weather's going to change at any time and you've got to be ready for it. Can you swim? Can you swim in the open waters? And it's no use moaning that boats pass you by. The idea is to stay in your boat. Try and find a way to stay in your boat. But if you do get capsized, learn to swim. True? So we realise that in a very short pace of time, our lives, the temperature changes on our spirituality. Very quickly. And some of you, from Sunday to Sunday, your temperature gauge is up and down, up and down, up and down. Others, just a little bit. Others, 
So verse 14. So we saw in 13, a gentle wind blows and you think you can obtain all you wanted, but you find that you haven't obtained in the, in the calm period of your life is, when the, is the time when you need to take on all the supplies. When you get fed the word of God, it should be inside of you. This is the time you take on, all, on board all your supplies when it's peace. You don't, you don't go to, you don't fight in a time of peace. You rest and you restore and you build up and you make yourself strong. So when you come to the next battle, you're ready. And many of us just sit there in the quiet time of our life and we do nothing with it. And we just sunbathe in the church. We enjoy the radiance of God's glory and we've got a fake tan. A fake Christian tan that rubs off when the storm hits us. It's true. On a Sunday morning, he's going to spray, spray tan me, turn around, grease me up, pray for me. I'll fall on this side. You can lull, let the glory of God come on that side. And we do it in churches. But then they go outside and the storm changes. And before you know it, it all washes off. It wasn't a genuine tan. Through being in the presence of God and resting in his glory. It was just a quick fix tan. Spray tan booth. It's called the church. And then he says, 14, before very long, a hurricane wind force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. And the ship caught was caught by the storm. Wow. This is the point when crisis develops. And we're aware that crisis is now developing in our life. Now, the word northeaster is known as the Euroclin. The Euroclin. Such winds are known in the Mediterranean as the Levant- Levanters. These are storms that come at you from any side. They don't always give you a warning, like you can see that the south wind is blowing. This can come at you from any direction. Anybody ever walked in their Christian life and ever felt like they've just been hit by every direction? Job did. Job suffered this, this Euroclidon. And in 2 Corinthians 7, 5, it says, for when we, listen to what Paul says, Paul can identify with winds coming at you from the, the north, the south, the east and the west at any moment, at any time. And Paul makes his comment in Corinthians and he says, in 2 Corinthians 7, 5, for when I came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest. But we were harassed at every turn. We had conflicts on the outside and fears within. You can't get any more left field than that. This body of ours had no rest, so he's weary. We had conflicts at every turn and we had fears within. Isn't that a typical picture of a crisis? Conflicts all around me and fear within. Somehow, you get the feeling that Paul is treading water. But somehow... He learns to lean on the power of his God and begin to push what's trying to enter him out and keep it on the outside. Because the worst storm you're ever going to get is the one that enters inside. When he enters inside and fear and doubt and lack of faith rise, that's when you are at your most vulnerable of sinking. And you better have some substance at that point in your life because ringing mum to pray for you is not the same as you knowing her God. The kids will always say to you, Mum, will you pray for me? Have you noticed it's always Mum and it's not Dad? That's an indictment upon many men in in the church across the the nations. When we say Mum's the prayer, but Dad isn't. Dad's the one with knowledge. Yeah, but Mum's the one with the faith. 
It should be both. I should be able to approach dad or mum. Dad's the one that sends the check or sends the money. Mum's the one who prays that there's money in the bank. But our kids will rely on your faith. But we've got to teach our kids to know the same God we know. And parents, that takes time. That takes time. And, and I've got things in that book to help you do that. I'm being serious now. So, verse 15. The ship was caught by the storm and they could not head into the wind. So we gave way and were being driven along. We're being driven along. This means they did not have the capacity to bear up under the crisis of this storm. It was getting too powerful for them. And they didn't have enough within themselves to be able to hit this thing dead on. Ever felt like that? Let me ask you a question. What is driving you along right now? What, how have you got here? Don't mean here in church. I know that's when you walk, so we've got the car. That's not the question I'm asking. Where are you in life right now? What is driving you along? What is driving you along that you can't seem to break and you feel like you're in a rut and you can't seem to break it and you're being driven along in a direction but it's not the direction for your life. Things, internal things and external things are driving people every day. Whether it's their work, whether it's fear, whether it's greed, whether it's ambition, whether it's habits, all these things are driving people in directions every day. And it might just need your boat to capsize for you to realize, I need to get out of this cycle of defeat. Yes. Let me just be, encourage you that God will allow a storm to come across your life if it means that your boat has become your sanctuary, God will tip you out the boat so you can see it's God you must trust, not your boat. In Christ alone, I stand on the solid rock. He didn't say I stand in a boat. The boat is a vessel. You're a vessel. But you must, and everything you own, you cannot put your trust in your wealth. You cannot put your trust in what your job. It can all, it's all subject to change. Everything is subject. What do we say in the early part of our series of this? We said the only thing that's permanent in a crisis are the promises of God. Everything else is subject to change. People change. Situations change. Jobs change. Governments change. Everything changes in life. But God's promises are fixed. They're eternal. They don't change. I, God, do not change my mind. Amen. And that's important for us to understand. So, where are we being, uh, what's driving us along and where is it driving us to? So, what will be your response? Well, I, I just feel powerless. I'm just going with the flow. What flow? It's a flow that's capturing you. And taking you away from the things of life and the things of God. What you refuse to face, you'll have to face some point in your life. And if you don't have the power to break what's driving you along, it will keep driving you until you do. 
And then all of a sudden you'll see, seems so far away that then you'll tell yourself, it's too far for me to get back. And that's what happens when the heart goes cold or we feel overwhelmed. And then we start to live in a cycle of defeat. We feel this thing is too powerful for us to change. And therefore, I don't know, get the way back. Carol often used to explain to me in our early days when we first come back to the Lord and I had a, what I could only uh, call an, a, a massive ex, acceleration of growth. What God did with me, and he began to strip me down, I began to grow very fast. For Carol, she was still young, she was still insecure, still, yeah, at that point in her life, and she saw me grow so fast that she felt that the gap was so fast she could never make that distance so then she used it as an excuse to stay here and I realized that spiritually we were getting so far away from each other so I had to go back and help her and walk with her but I also had to maintain my growth so be close enough to relate but far enough to lead so it's getting that point where you can lean into both and pull them. And you know, she eventually after many, t- many months, many years, she finally started to make her own journey and found that she was now building up some pace of her own. But it's so easy to fall behind and think when you see somebody in church and you think, yeah, yeah well, I can't really ask him for help because I'm just so far behind, but they're so far from and what they're going to say. They're going to judge me. And all this thing now is inside of you. And it's all the reasons for you to stay where you are. It's not good. It's not good. And the waves will keep beating beating your boat until the point where nobody remembers you anymore. But God does. God does. Remember, he only has to step on the ocean. Before you know it, he'll walk into your boat. Sometimes, now, let's pick this up. Let me just pick this up for a second. You ready to, can you take a... A slap in the gut? Of course you can. I'm about to step in your boat now and give you something that might hurt. Many times, the reason why you can't rebuke the wind and waves is because you yourself need to be rebuked. Let me say that again. Oof, pastor, that was a little bit hard. Many times the reason why you can't stand up in your boat and rebuke the wind and waves is because you yourself need to be rebuked. Mm. That was worth the fare, wasn't it? Listen to what Proverbs says. You see, your attitude and my attitude needs to be rebuked from time to time. We need to be rebuked, guys. I've had the rebuking of the Lord. It's not nice. It stings. But guess what? It sets you back in order. And it shows that you are a child of God. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, Scripture says. But it's beneficial. And it shows our legitimacy as being a son and a daughter. And how you respond will show God whether you are illegitimate in your sonship or your daughterhood. Which is really sonship. The ship was caught by the storm and it could not head into the wind. So we gave way 
and were driven along. That's how many people, that's where they are today. In the church. They're being driven along by the patterns of this world. By the pull of the world. By your boss making demands on you. And they're being driven and they can't seem to fight the wind. So they'll be loyal to one thing and disloyal to something else. Or there'll be a period of time where they try to keep it going. But eventually the pressure will cause you to put your foot in one camp as opposed to the other. So Proverbs 1.23 says this. If you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. But since you rejected me when I called you and no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand, since you ignored all my advice and would not accept my rebuke, in turn, I will laugh at your disaster. I'll mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you. This is what happens when you cannot respond to a rebuke. God has no other alternative than to let the storm do what its storm does. Until the voice of humility says, Jesus, step into my boat. Step into my boat and help me. And from time to time, believers need the rebuking of God. And you need a rebuke. And how does God rebuke us? God can rebuke us directly or he uses somebody else close to you. Now the problem is, we have problem with the guys close to us. But Proverbs talks a lot about the man or the woman who can accept a rebuke. Because now your attitude now is being questioned. Can you respond to it in a favourable way? Or are you going to be ignorant and immature and create a scene because someone rebukes you the way you respond or the way you act or the way you've not been acting? Rebuking is part of your growth. And my growth. Church, you better read that. It's true. And some of us get ourselves in a crisis and we need rebuking from it. That's not something you, that's not something you shove on your, micro, on your um, fridge. Do I need rebuking today? Smile. Verse 16. So we passed to the lee of the small island called Corda. Again, which is Crete. And we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So here we see this picture of continuous strife. When the wind had hoisted it abroad, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. It always amazes me when people's lives are falling apart. The things they use to try and keep their life together. Have you ever noticed it? When yourself, when you're backsliding... Or your heart's going cold. And to keep your life together, you use the flimsy things of life. You, you, you'll call people you never used to call. Because <laughs> you know everyone around you is too spiritual and they'll tell you what you need to know. So you end up moving in a different direction. You'll call people that you don't normally do. You'll do things you don't normally do, hoping that they'll give you satisfaction and, and, and anything rather than go to that church. Anything rather than keep listening to him speak. And I'll, I'll put my life in a certain path. And, I'll, and it's been held together by weak things. Weak things. Fragile things that have no substance. The very things you were saved from, you go back to. Believing that they'll just give me some comfort and they'll give me some meaning. But they don't. They just take you into a hole. I've been there. 
flimsy things. These are lifeboats we jump into that cut us adrift from the main boat. And before you know it, there's just you on your own on the wide old ocean. And then you realize, actually, I've gone too far now and I don't know how to get back. Yeah. Whether, again, whether it's you put your trust in your money, your business, or your busyness. Your busyness. Whether it's your children. Whatever it is. These are flimsy things that can fall apart. But they, we think they give us meaning and strength and substance, but they don't. They don't. I said to you there's reasons, three reasons why crisis comes. First one is to expose. To expose all that is wrong within you and around you. Secondly, to depose. To remove forcefully and overturn, topple or bring down. And the third one is to awaken. Being awakened saves you from ultimate disaster. If God can awake you, he can avert you from disaster. And you can avoid some pain. Amen? So verse 18 and 19, we took such a violent battering. I love that word, battering. Such a descriptive word. We took such a battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. What will it take you and I to throw the cargo over the board? The boat is sinking. It's only a matter of time. You keep putting your trust in some things and it's only a matter of time. The boat's sinking. I always laugh at my mother-in-law with the, lotto, uh, with the lottery. She sits there with the numbers. And I say to mum, 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 how hard is it is to pick six numbers? How hard is it to pick six numbers? I say, before you go, leave me rich. You've got one mission. Leave me rich. And she laughs. I say, why can't you pick six numbers? So if it's that easy, you pick them. I said, no, 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 this is your boat. This is your boat. You sail on this. The loser's lottery, as I call it. The loser's lottery. What we're going to do, we're going to build a bigger boat if we win all this money. We're going to sail away. I won't live in Jordan. We're going to sail away to an island. And by the island, we're going to sail away, John. And guess what? And Jesus and the church is going to be in the distance. Because now something's captured your heart and pulled you in the wrong. What's driving you along? All these people have got all these plans with money. You don't need money to have plans. Get a plan that will bring you towards money. I had, someone didn't give me a load of money and then I started thinking. I start thinking first. And if money comes my way, great, I can use it. It's a resource. Just use it as a resource. Money can be your captive. Business can be, can be your captor. You better have a good reason other than yourself to have money. Money's good, by the way. I've had it, and I've lived without it, and I know which one's better. But don't let money become the cargo that God will cause you to lose. He'll cause you to lose it, to throw it overboard. I know many, many millionaires who speak, tell them how they lose they lost the money in order to be taught the lessons how to keep it. Yes. Lottery winners don't keep their money. Because most of them have never had money, so they don't know how to use it. And the money consumes them. The cargo of our lives is always going to become the primary issue. 
What have you lay hold of? What do you, what do you see as valuable, worthy? Something you won't let go of, something you'll fight for. And God has a way of sifting the motives of our hearts to make sure these things are pure and right and of Christ. This man's been sifted over these last 18 months. This fella here, Phil. He's been sifted. But thank God, thank God, Satan's tried to sift him, but Jesus has prayed. The intercessory prayer of God has, has, has kept Phil and Ange through the sifting. That's God. Why? Because his heart's in the right place. He's in the right boat. And many of you could testify the same thing. Many of you could testify the same thing. So the rope does not hold you together. But they did everything they can to survive. And that's first instinct. But that's not the full picture. So what is it you need to let go of? Is it your independence? Is your rope your independence? So what happens is the boat's sinking and they're trying to shove rope underneath it to try and keep it together so it'll go along and it won't, you know, it won't damage the hull. And they're trying to keep this thing together with all they've got. What are you trying to keep together that's, that's not going to do? It's not going to work. Is it your, I need my independence? I won't be taught. I'm the one in charge. Maybe it's your independence. Maybe it's your self-will. You always need to be in control. Hmm. Is it your individual pride and arrogance? This could be your rope. It only needs someone to snip it. Could it be your interpretation of your own self-worth? Well, I'm not really worth much. I don't see myself. Or maybe you, you've got higher grandeur. Maybe you see yourself as being God's gift to the world. Or maybe it's, could it be your habits? And verse 20, like we say, when the sun and the stars don't appear, you're lost and you stay where you are. They had no way of navigating. Verse 21, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice. You should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself and damaged the loss. It's like me standing up and saying, where have you been the last 12 months, David? Not either one of you, both Davids. <laughs> And then they, they find out that they've been in a crisis and I said, well, didn't I tell you about that? Didn't I warn you about that? Yeah, I know, I know, I just didn't want you. I knew you'd say that. I knew you'd say that. How many times do our kids do something? We've warned them and warned them and warned them and then they do it. And the one thing they don't want to hear is you say, I told you not, not to do that. Are you any different? No. You don't want the pastor to tell you, I told you about that. I know, I know, I know. You don't want anybody to tell you, you don't want your mother, your friends, your husband, your wife to tell you what they've always been telling you. Why? Because there's stubbornness and pride inside of us. I'll work it out myself, I'll do it myself. I'm a, I'm a self-made man who never made anything. And Paul stands up and says, guys, I told the guy at the beginning... Not to go this way. I told him. And guess what? It's not like I'm in a safe place. He put my life at danger and everybody else's life at danger. But I told him. And Paul's thinking, it's not bringing me comfort this because I'm the one in the open waters like you. I'm in this boat with you. 
If you were in the other boats, it'd be okay because I'd be nice and dry here. But I'm your disobedience and your ignorance and stubbornness has brought pain into my life. And that's what happens when we're disobedient. It always affects others. It's not just about you. It affects others. So crisis comes. And then Paul says in verse 22, I now urge you to keep up your courage because, of, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Now, Here's the other thing now. Thank God someone's in the boat with you who's got a different perspective than you. This is the benefit of being in the same boat in the same waters. Someone's got to have around you, close to you, a different perspective than you. And because of them, you're going to survive. Now, I'll make this point in a second. Watch. Last night, an angel of God, thank goodness that one of us can speak to God and God can speak to one of us. It would be much preferable if God could speak to you and I, all of us. But thank God, God could speak to one of us. There's someone in the boat who can still hear God. And there better be one in your marriage, in your relationship, who can hear God. And it can't only be one, it's got to be both of you. Right? Last night, the angel of God, whose I am, and whom I have stood beside, who stood beside, who I serve, sorry, and stood beside me, who I serve, stood beside me, sorry, and said, don't be afraid, thank goodness, I'm getting my encouragement from above, not from what I see. He says this, Paul, you must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Now, let me put this back into the church context just for a second. There is a pastor and there's a leadership that God gives to you to protect you. So that you don't have to be found in the sea. Now, you, you are, you've got your own boat. Brenda and Elijah have got their own boat. They've got their own family unit. Now, God has given them another boat. It's called a church. Now, any one of us have to decide whether my boat is more important than, and I can, we can make it on our own or we need another boat. God gives us a church. He sets us in Christ and, and in Christ he gives us a church. So therefore, if he gives us a church, he gives us a pastor and leadership. It was God who gave some to be. Why? For, then he tells us the reason, to protect, to mature. So if you are wise and smart, you see that there needs to be a covering over your life, which is a boat. Which is a boat. And that covering helps. I'm never going to sail in your waters. But we're all in the waters together. But depending which, which way you go, left or right, some waters have different kind of dangers than them over there. Now, if you stay in a boat and find a good boat that can protect you, you've always got more chance of being strengthened, and even though you're going through crisis in your own life, there is something bigger still feeding you and protecting you. Now, we're not a substitute for God. They still have to walk with God. But God's given them a bigger boat. And what they do is when they go home, they get in their boat and they do life. But they know that they have a father above them, and they know they have their part of a church. So when John was in his, in his coma, the church... Because he's in, the, in the, church, the bigger boat, the church can come around and petition God, hey, one of ours is 
sick. This is the benefit of you being in a church. But you've got to choose the right church. It's your choice. God gives you that choice. He leads you to the place. He uses your will. So, here's the thing. Don't be afraid, Paul said. Don't be afraid. So there needs to be a word that gives you strength in the midst of your crisis. Don't be afraid. Why? Because God's with us. God's got a purpose for us. And that word has to come from a Paul. Because everyone is in disarray at that point. So thank goodness Paul can stand up and make a declaration. Amen? Amen. But you've got to let the cargo go. Some of the cargo that you and I carry around is not good for us. And you've got to work out what cargo has to be cut off so it doesn't take you down or take you under. Now, here's the key. In all of that, in verse, uh, as you continue on reading, it says there was 276 people's lives that were saved. Not one of you will die. We lost the cargo, we lost the ship. Everything went to rack and ruin, but the people's lives were saved. We may lose the building. We may lose the money we have in the resources as a church, but the people are the things you, you die for and you, you work towards saving. The people are the greatest asset God has given the church. It's not the building or the toys inside it. The people, you the people. So we labour as a team for you. And God looks at us and judges us. And if we don't put you as a priority, God looks at us and says, bang, boys, you are bang out of order. So here's Paul saying, 276 people survived all because of a man being in the right place at the right time. I'm not your saviour. Jesus is. But I know the words I speak carry life. So therefore, I am an instrument of God. God can change me and bring somebody else in. It still doesn't change the fact that whoever the next person is, that will be the next person. So watch this. So, and you've heard me say this before, so I'll say it again. One man under assignment, whether he knows it or not, is a major, major game changer in the midst of a storm. My great-granddaddy, was on the Titanic. Similar to what Paul, the, the thing sunk. The things at the bottom of the ocean broke in parts. But my great granddad is working on that ship. He wasn't a passenger, he's on that ship. He's at the back of the ship doing the stoking. He's probably starting the fire. So when that thing starts to abandon ship, abandon ship, there was no angel on, the, on that ship saying, Don't worry, passengers. There's a Mr. Well, he's not calling again, so we'll call him. There's Tony's great granddad's on here. It's okay. None of you will lose your life. No, there was no angel there. But God saw this man, he got him to safety. Why? Because his vessel, through him being a vessel, means surely would come forth. And I like to know that God was in that boat, even though that boat was going down. God was in that boat saving my hide. So I was in a shipwreck. I was part of a storm before I was even born. But thank God, the angel of God who's am, and I will serve and do serve, was already speaking for me. He'll survive. He'll survive. And that's not, it's not our call. But God's working for me so that his 
divine plan and purpose is going to come forth. There's going to be no obstacles. There's going to be a clear pathway. There's going to be no icebergs. So God begins to see, wait, save this one. And I believe there was angels attached and detached down there. Make sure this one gets, why? Because what's coming through him is going to be specific for the kingdom. And how many of us are here, if you, if you know, who, what's that program where they do the, the, the background check? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are, Elijah? Well, only God knows. And if you do Elijah's background and you go through his family history, you might find some awesome stories. You might not. You might find some bad boys there. It doesn't matter the good or bad. The thing is, is he has a purpose. God works despite the bad and the good. So I'm here today because previously I was caught in a storm. Before I was even born, I was in a storm. And I just find that so humorous. I find it so great that you can, that to, it just shows me what God will do to bring us to, to this planet. God has engineered everything. It's by design, God, the world was created, not by luck. It's by design, by purpose. God, through his foreknowledge, spoke you into being. So, finishing this, verse 33. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat, and I'm urging you to eat. Paul urged them to eat. Keep eating. Keep feeding on what's being given to you. Despite what, what you're going through, you must keep the, the, the food gate open. I'm not talking about natural food. It's not spiritual now. I don't, you don't need to t- me to tell you to eat naturally. You have that thing, mechanism called hunger that tells you now's the time to eat. But spiritually, you must keep on eating. And he says this, for the last 14 days, he said, you and I have been in constant suspense and have gone through without, gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You know, when Elijah went through a crisis, the first thing God says to him is sit down and eat. There's a time to eat, to, re- to replenish your strength. And I'll, this is what God said to me in the lockdown. This is what, exactly what God said to me. Take some food, you need it. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair on his head. After he said this, he took some bread, gave thanks to God in front of them all, and then he broke it and began to eat. And they were all encouraged. If you're going to come through your your storm, you've got to eat. The best thing is when you go through a crisis to eat and feed yourself on the word. So that when you find the winds of change changing over your life, you're wise enough to know the value and understanding. Though though we're all called to swim in the same waters, we don't all travel in the same boat. But there is a boat that God has called us all to be part of. There's a boat that God's called us all to be part of. And now it's the time to eat, John. Eat. Eat. You've come out of you. You've come out of death. The grave clothes are not on you. Thank God. Imagine this world would be a sadder place without you. It'd be a sadder place without all of you. And God gives us a word to sustain the weary in the midst of the battle. So, let's stand to our feet, if we will. Our God is an awesome God, is he not?
We have heard with our ears, O oh God. Our fathers have told us what you did in their days, in their days long ago. With your hand you drove out the nations and planted our fathers. You crushed the peoples and made our fathers flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land. It wasn't their ropes, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right arm. That the light of your face, for you love them. You are my king and my God, who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you we push back our enemies. Through you, your name will trample over our foes. I don't trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory. My boat doesn't bring me stability. My friends don't bring me the energy I need. You put uh, In God, we make our boast all day long. And we will praise your name forever. This is our God. This is the God who spoke to Paul in the midst of the storm. This is the God who wants to speak to you in the storm, through the storm, before the storm. So let's raise our hands to him. I want you to see the waves pounding against your boat. I want you to see the, the flimsiness of where you're at right now and the things that's try, you're trying to do to keep your life together. And if you continue reading that story, they all want, the, the Roman soldiers wanted to kill him. And he said, because of Paul, he didn't. And he let them all jump overboard and they all swam, swam ashore and some of them just literally held on to planks and get them to the end. And then Paul, fast forward in the story, Paul starts a fire and a snake runs, comes out the fire and bites him. And that snake bites him and many of us have been bit by a snake. It might be pride, it might be arrogance. And the people began to see, they expected Paul to die. The shipwreck couldn't kill him. The snake couldn't kill him. And then they began to see the miraculous and it opened up the whole region for people to start being prayed for and the gospel was preached. Only God can turn a disaster around and use it for his glory. And if you have to get to the side, if you have to get to the beach on a plank, swim. and Find strength for your soul. Eat. Because the snake's ready to bite you on the next journey. But guess what? The snakes won't kill you. Why? Because the God who was with him in the shipwreck was there with him when the snake bit him. Was there with him in the prison he had to go before, stand before. Nothing can bring you to the end of your life like you can. But if a man trusting God, a woman trusting God, hell or high water can come against you. But the God who is in the boat with you rebukes and, and, come, and you have to rebuke it with him. Rebuke the winds and wave over your life. So Father, right now, say, Lord, I'm, I'm jumping in your boat, Lord. And Father, I will not let you be asleep in my boat. Everything in my boat must be awake. So Father, awaken me. Awaken me to your word. Awaken me to your ways. Awaken me to the walk. And Father, steer me out of these troubled waters. Show me, O oh God, how to get my boat home. 
Show me what repairs need to be made on my boat. So that we don't run aground. That we stay buoyant in the spirit. Father, I thank you that you are my rock, my shield, my strength. That your name is greater than anything. Father, I commit my ways to you today. I lean on the arms of the everlasting. That is my stern, that is my bow. Father, in the name of Jesus, I set sail today. In the everlasting arms of Jesus Christ. And the people of God said? Amen. Amen. Lord bless you all. Lord bless you. Take the word and feed on it. Amen. Amen.